Sid Meier, creator of Civilization, Graham Devine, Robin Hinnicky, formerly of That Game Company. They're all coming together to discuss video games, their artistry, and the work that they do that may impact people more deeply than even they realize. And no, no, this isn't E3. This is the Games for Change Festival, the 13th annual, taking place in New York City at Parsons School of Design a little later this week. I had a chance to sit down with Susanna Pollock, the president of Games for Change, to discuss the upcoming show. Programming for the show is broken down into three tracks, Civics and Social Impact, Neurogaming and Health, and Games for Learning. We we discussed those tracks, discussed why she's breaking them down that way, and, and talked about some of the interesting topics that will be coming up including things like video games that can get FDA approval for the treatment of ADHD, guns and violence, and of course Minecraft. You always have to talk about Minecraft. But this time it's Minecraft uh, and its use with IBM Watson and some of the things that's helping to create. Let's have a listen. All right, Susanna Pollock uh, is joining us today, and you are the president of Games for Change. Um, sort of a recent addition in terms of being president. You started, uh, obviously, a, a while ago, but as in terms of being the president, you just started that position, what, in the past year? Yeah, so I stepped into the, the role of president in December after um, there was a transition with Asi Parak, our, our fearless leader, uh, who ran the organization for five years. Uh, but I'm not new to uh, this sector. I've been working with and the team here for about two years uh, prior to that, running partnerships and setting up new um, programs for for the organization. But I was thrilled to have the opportunity to just step in and take the lead as of December. So it, it's been around, uh, Games for Change has been around since 2004. Uh, just quickly, what is, for people who are unaware of it or unfam- not familiar with Games for Change, what is Games for Change? So yeah, so as you said, we're we're uh, we've been around since two thousand and four. We are a not for profit five hundred one c three organization, and our mission is to serve as the leading advocate for the power of games beyond entertainment. So what we mean by that is that we we believe that games can be a powerful driver for social and humanitarian educational efforts um, in the form of being an amazing a platform uh, for social impact. And we, we run a bunch of things. We have the Games for Change Festival coming up, but we have a, a host of programs that engage with uh, the community uh, to deliver on that mission. Now, and, I, and as you mentioned, obviously, uh, a number of things you do. Most uh, the thing that sort of we're talking about, I guess, today is what's going to be happening this week, which is uh, the festival, which uh, kicks off Thursday and runs Thursday and Friday. And then I guess, uh, is it over the weekend you have some more public-facing stuff going on? No, this year we we are just doing the Games for Change Festival on Thursday and Friday, June 23rd and 24th. Um, in previous years, uh, we've held outdoor arcades as part of the festival, but typically we do that aligned with some other events that are happening um, at the Tribeca Film Festival. So this year we're in June, and it's focused on those two days. Oh, I got you. Okay. Now, your your kickoff uh, this year is, uh, I think, a really good example of some of the stuff you do and the people you have speaking. Um, the kickoff, uh, well, f- first year, I should mention that you have three tracks this year. Uh, but it looks like the first the first talk that you'll be doing is at 9.15 on Thursday. Um, and it's a keynote with Christopher Weaver um, and, and what's interesting is about uh, about Christopher Weaver is that I would I would call him maybe a deep cut. He he is the founder 
uh, and former CEO of Bethesda Softworks, but I bet there are tons of gamers who have never heard of him uh, because this is a guy who, again, he founded founded that company, got his start um, basically making the Elder Scrolls series, but has moved on to do things where I think now he's teaching at MIT. Is, is that correct? Yeah. So he's built a whole second career for himself as an academic working at MIT and, this, and uh, Wesleyan uh, teaching at um, the um, – uh, the media center, as well as some other areas within MIT, he focuses a lot on education, um, and the, and really aligned with very much with our our goals and what we believe in 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 about how games can can be this great platform not only for serving social impact uh, projects, but also as a means for education itself. Um, and then he has this, uh, really interesting project that he's working on with the Smithsonian Museum as a principal investigator, uh, where he's going to be serving, uh, to interview, uh, basically the, uh, the legends and those who built the video game industry. He's going to be talking about that event, uh, or that program. Uh, basically they're looking to capture the oral history of video games, uh, which is a tremendous project that he'll be, uh, going over. So is that what his uh, keynote will be? He'll be talking. Well, about? I think the keynote is going to be across a couple of things. It's going to be about his work um, in, at at MIT and uh, and also about uh, you know his, his belief that that games can be transformative. But he certainly will touch on that project, which had just kicked off at E three last uh, last week, um, and will serve to uh, to list a whole uh, bunch of different interviews that are going to be happening over the next uh, year. It's interesting. Um, I uh, I should mention as an aside that uh, I am an advisor recently uh, for uh, Games for Change. Um, I, don't, I don't get paid, and that's not me asking. <laughs> I just want <laughs> to. So to our have list- you. <laughs> yes, uh, thank you. Uh, but just so listeners understand, yeah. Um, but uh, I also serve. There's uh, some other boards where I'm an advisor. One of them is IEP, which is a, a group starting up that's trying to sort of increase education within uh, the video game industry in terms of uh, expanding people's careers and abilities. And one of the things that has come up there where they're working on things is is this. Uh, I think I think it's fair to say a growing almost fear that we're going to lose this whole swath of, of history of, of the early days of video game development because um, there's no other way to put it. it. Some of those people are dying, and it's sad because they're really obviously very important to this industry. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I think just the, the nature of um – you know the the gr- the growth or the emergence of video games, uh, particularly back in the sixties and seventies, has just let you know time lends itself to you know to people uh, aging and and um, and the Smithsonian realized that they kind of missed the boat when it came to capturing these oral histories from the film sector and the television sector um, just didn't realize what value there was to to get people to tell their stories on tape and to really hear you know capture their their words and their thoughts um, in that way and so what they what they've done which is tremendous is to uh, kick off that program now you know while there still is time uh, and I think it's going to it's going to be an incredible uh, portfolio of voices and stories to be told. 
Uh, you know, s- speaking of that, a sort of variety of voices, um, I- I've been attending Games for Change for a while now. Um, I think, is this the first year where you've done this sort of three-track system where you try to have these sort of um, a-, a broader mix of people set up into these different sections? Yeah, so so Games for Change, you know, had always tried to have a breadth of content at the, at the festival. We've, we've always had some kind of education focus. Obviously, civic and social issues has been, you know, the core of what Games of Change has been about. And, and more and more, there's, there's exciting things happening in the health sector. And we felt that there were so many fantastic stories to be told and, and projects that needed to be um, kind of highlighted that it, it, it's, it's a natural evolution, you know, to, to give each of these sectors kind of their, their due and to, to recognize them as um, uh, in, in the context of creating a body of work that support each, you know, each vertical, if you will. Um, so, yeah, so the first time we're going to have an uh, entire uh, track for two days on learning called the Games for Learning Summit, which are actually co-hosting with the um, Entertainment Software Association. Uh, we did a first event like this last year, which was a closed event, and there was such interest and demand for it, we wanted to open it up to all the attendees of the festival. Um, and then we are, we are of course, programming a uh, track on civic and social issues and that you'll in that track you'll find a lot of the the projects that you would uh typically find within the festival they're the heart and soul of what games for change is um and then the third track um which is not just health games it's neuroscience and what now being described as neurogaming um and there's just such amazing work happening in that sector um and we're thrilled to be bringing together some some leaders working in that space so let's, if you don't mind, let's kind of walk through those as uh, I know they're all taking place at the same time, essentially, but let's walk through them as separate entities. Um, the Games for Learning Summit. Now, you you all did something earlier this year. Uh, I know it was Games for Media. Is that right? Yeah. So the games, uh, we had a, a, an event at the Tribeca Film Festival called the Games and Media Summit. Um, that was that was a little different approach. Um, while there, there's certainly overlap in the content area, what we were focusing at that event was really the technologies and the new platforms of providing new, let's say, pathways for social impact. Um, and so we highlighted projects that were built in VR and using augmented reality projects that had biofeedback uh, mechanisms built in that that explored issues using uh, wearables. Uh, but this event is really this the summit is really focused at, uh, in June. The Games and Learning Summit is really focused on how games are used in and outside the classroom. And and last year, if I recall, last year you did have – did you have a breakout? Am I right about this? Uh, about games for uh, – uh, I guess – Games for Learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did. Okay. So we, we, did a, we did our first event also with uh, with the Entertainment Software Association and also the Department of Education was involved. But we, it, was a, it was a kind of a trial run and we, we did it uh, outside of the festival. It was on the day before the, our, our main festival began. And we had it for about, um, you know, 100 or – uh, 150 people who worked in the in the sector and um and it consisted as this session will too of talks and panels and workshops um but as i said it was really a trial run and and we didn't know if if this kind of convening would have have a broad impact and or or interest and what we found it, it it certainly did and we were you know sold out and there were so many people from our general festival who wanted to attend so we decided to integrate it into the festival so as you said 
you, even though you may have an interest in one particular track, you are more than welcome to step in and out of different sessions, regardless of track, and just get a taste of what's happening. So this year, shifting it, uh, shifting, I guess, the whole festival uh, to June um, and having this uh, as one of the three tracks, it looks like you have a lot uh, just kind of going over your schedule. You have a lot you're delving into. It, it's it's fascinating um, I mean, again, I've been going to these for a while and there's always been some really interesting case studies, but being able to hone in on this for this one track, it seems like you've been able to find a lot of, a lot more interesting topics to talk about. Are, are there any that really stand out to you for the learning summit? Sure. Well, there's, there's uh, great conversations happening around mixed reality and VR in the classroom. I think that's going to be a highlight of, uh, of the track, um, you know, where immersive learning really is, is taking uh, a hold and how VR can, is kind of redesigning the classroom experience um, and allowing teachers to deliver content in, in, in a new way. We have speakers coming from Google Education, um, from Valve, uh, uh, as well as um, uh, developers at Blipar uh, and the like coming to talk about how, how VR is bringing the world into the classroom. Um, so I think that's a really interesting conversation. Um, we're also going to be talking about um, assessment and um, kind of and measuring uh, impact into the into the the conversation. But games, one of the things that games offer teachers, um, which uh, I think end, ends up being like this surprise or added benefit that teachers educators don't realize is that there's really a, a, a tremendous opportunity in game based assessment, um, where back end. Uh, you know, parts of the game can actually be used to feed information to teachers to see how children are learning, where they need help and mastery, and so they can complement, you know, uh, offline learning opportunities to what's happening online. So that's another talk that I think is is going to be very interesting. Um, We also have... um, uh, speakers from the Department of Education um, and the White House Office of Science and Technology. So to, for me to integrate, to be able to integrate government, you know, interest into this conversations is really a testament to how um, how this type of learning is being embraced, not only at a national level, but also at a local level. Um, at one of the uh, sessions we actually have on the same stage, which is so cool. We have the CTO of New York City, so the, the chief technology officer, Minerva Tantuco, is joining, along with Debbie Marcus, who is um, director of New York City Department of Education for CS for All, um, and then Michael Preston, who was running CSNYC. And those, uh, you know, that's an organization that is uh, committed to getting. A computer science into every high school within New York City. Um, I think in the next ten years, um, and that to me just does, is a great indicator how computer science, coding, and how that lends themselves to game making is is really has a real chance of of integrating uh, into the classroom. Yeah, it, it's interesting. There has been uh, I've written about this a little bit, but I'd say in the past few years, certainly under Obama, there has been a much bigger push to uh, broaden the reach of gaming in the classroom and sort of accept the fact, I think, not not just accept it, but embrace the fact that gaming can be a powerful tool for education. Um, just, I, I guess it was, what, uh, in January, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there was this, you know, the talk about the $4 billion plan to, uh, to update the, the nation's core teaching values. And in that, there was a lot of discussion about video games uh, as an entry point. Um, do you do you think that – is it just that we're – I guess we being maybe the media are just noticing that this is happening now or is this sort of a new shift? I think it's a new shift. I, I think that um, – I think Obama's administration has done a tremendous amount to bring in technology into the classroom. Um, you know, there's, there's always been the issue of um, – uh, kind of the bandwidth issue of you know making sure there's a quality in all schools to be able to embrace this kind of technology, but as as the technology exists and offers so many new teaching tools for for um, educators, um, it's really just about using what's what's available and and yes, there's there, there's new ways in which to get young people interested in, in education and learning and games clearly is 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 a, a great platform in which to to uh to weave in content areas and and learning opportunities um but it's also a tool for teachers to to use as 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 i was saying as part of their assessment assessment uh models so there's you know it's it's positive an opportunity that is for students it also is an equal opportunity for for the teachers themselves and i think that's what um not only the you know the, the government is trying to get get uh school systems to embrace um but also businesses too i mean there's the whole challenge too of how to manage distribution of these learning products into the market um and and that is something that will also be addressed at the um at the summit, which is how to how to build actually a sustainable business model to get these great games into the classrooms and distributed and adopted by the teachers. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think you and I talked about this before, but I think one of the things, one of the themes that you're seeing across all of Games for Change, but uh, specifically, I think more right now in education and games, is this idea that it's not, I think, good enough to just make uh, an educational tool. Or make an educational tool that is fun and kids want to use, but it has to be it has to be a business. I mean, if you want to attract developers who are talented, you have to be able to have a system where they can make money doing it, or it it just won't work. Right. I mean, it it can't be the the approach of if you build it, they will come because you need a lot of money to make sure they come. Right. In terms of marketing right. <laughs> and and uh, advertising dollars, which any developer on the App Store um, will attest to. So yeah, so there's definitely this this whole model. I mean, the educational tech market is a tough one, uh, but there are um, amazing case studies um, and businesses that have been built to to help with this distribution strategies. And you know, you've got companies like BrainPop which not only has a games platform, but video and other kind of content that, you know, that has um, uh, figured it out. And we'll have people, and we'll have them on stage to talk about their business models um, and ways in which to to get your individual game onto some of these larger platforms. Because it doesn't have to be a single, you know, not, it's not everybody out for themselves. I mean, there's definitely an ecosystem that's being developed to, um, to help with these distribution chains. And, and I have to say, I, um, uh, obviously, I'm a fan of this sort of stuff. But just going through the panel you have specifically for education and looking at the people who will be there, uh, you've got Graham Devine, uh, who I'm a big fan of personally, who if, if people listening don't know who he is, uh, 
among his titles, my favorite are the Seventh Guest and the Eleventh Hour, which were these amazing, yeah. amazing games. Uh, but you know, he, he very talented developer. You've got uh, uh, Robin Hinnicky. Yeah, yeah, Robin Hinnicky. Yes. Yeah. Who obviously, uh, again, uh, very talented. Uh, worked on among other things, Journey. Um, and uh, yeah, you've just got, it's a very impressive list of developers. You've got people from the American, uh, history of, uh, natural wait, history, yep. natural, natural history. history talking about, they've, they've been doing some interesting work on, uh, using kids, uh, using kids, but uh, incorporating a uh, youth high school students and developing game concepts for use within the, the museum itself. And, uh, Barry Joseph, who was one of the founders of games for change, who knew r- runs their, their games, uh, kind of group there is going to be bringing high school students on stage uh to talk about their process um of the games they've developed yeah we also have people from microsoft uh deidre Quanstrom from minecraft education is going to be speaking um also i love this story too the ibm watson um right, I, was, I was gonna bring that up that's uh that's pretty amazing tell me about that what is that yeah so you know you know the watson program is you know is is clearly you know trying to make all these you know data pools of, 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 of information available for use in different sectors. And the medical field is, is one that they've, they've, they've developed significantly. And, um, and they partnered with um, schools uh, to use this kind of data within a Minecraft in, in environment. Um, so they're using it for education, but it's, but it's, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, it's such a brilliant blend of, of different technologies, right? You've got the Watson data access and then you've got minecraft where where youth you know young people are able to come in and build and create and and teachers are able to create curriculum so porter stowell from ibm serious games is going to be coming talking going to talk about that that program and i think i think it'll spark a lot of ideas about how watson can be used in other aspects within within minecraft as well right right um and then you've got of course star wars you always have to have star wars and LARPing in the classroom. I mean, there's some really, I think, uh, as a journalist and also as a gamer and a parent, I'm, I'm fascinated in all this stuff. Um, then, uh, let's, let's shift over because I, I could probably spend the whole day just talking about that, but <laughs> okay. I won't. Um, civics and social issues. So a- as you mentioned, this is sort of the classic games for change. These are the games that, uh, face head on, uh, some of the big issues that the world faces and, and I guess tries to, um, either break down some of those issues or explain them in ways that are maybe more approachable or, or help people understand them in different ways. What, what is What are the ones that sort of pop out in your mind? Well, some of the, uh, starting at a very high level, which is our, our keynotes that we've, we've brought to the stage, the fact that we have the chairman of the NEH, the National Endowment of Humanities, on stage to have a conversation with Tracy Fullerton, I think is quite incredible and, and really is a testament in how far... Um, are some of our national agencies have come. Uh, so the NEH is a big uh, supporter of her um, um, of her game. Walden? Walden, Walden? Yes, I'm sorry. Just, yes. Yeah. Okay. So That's Walden, right. yeah. And uh, I was going to say Watson because we've been talking about Watson, but Walden. Um, and she's going to give a demo of the game and talk about that relationship and, um, and the fact that the NEH sees games as a great platform in which to connect with our society around the humanities um, is, 
you know, is going to be a really interesting, interesting conversation. And I, and I think it, it speaks to kind of the, the, the feel of the rest of the session uh, of the summit uh, or of, of, of that track of, of how you can really deal with humanitarian um, issues uh, through through games, projects like 1979 Revolution, you know, where you're able to step into the role of uh, of a young journalist or a photojournalist who's going to live, th- who lives through that, the early days of the revolution on the street. And, and you can't help but um, feel and, you know, the kind of empathy and, and emotions that somebody like that would go through during that very historical period. Yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, personally, this is they're all very interesting. But to me, this, this is sort of on some level, the most important track, because it is it is where gaming and uh, sort of all the, the hot topics and the things that I think a lot of uh, mainstream retail games are sort of shy away from. This is where those games kind of embrace things hard uh, head on. Um, Walden, just getting back to that real quickly. Um, I've, I've written about it a little bit. I'm a, I'm a fan of Tracy. She's actually been on on this show once we interviewed her. Um, but Walden is a take on the book, Walden. But uh, what's cool about it is you're essentially writing your own Walden by your experiences, uh, which I think is very fascinating. Um, uh, but yeah, looking looking at some of these others uh, that you have, uh, there's a lot of stuff here. You've got, uh, obviously, you've got Sid Meier. You're going to be having a conversation with Sid Meier. The, oh my gosh, uh, yeah. Creator of Civilization. What, what, uh, what is it you guys are going to talk about? Well, well, first of all, I, I'm like I'm nervous. I mean, if I, I'm nervous about anything about this ne- this coming week, it's actually sharing the stage with him and and doing him proud um, and and fulfilling what I hope the audience is going to look for and what a conversation with Sid would, would be. Um, so you know, the the game Civilization, I think, has in some ways epitomizes what what a what a games for change can be. You know, not having been created to be had to serve any strong you know, significant social cause or, you know, or issue just by virtue of, of the type of gameplay and the, and the premise and the issues that come up when you play that and you, you live within that experience has, has kind of lent itself to, to, uh, just be an incredible, um, kind of bar, I think, for, uh, for game makers who, who want to work in this space. So we're going to talk about that, about how the, um, how the game has evolved over its many iterations, um, what went into designing it, what, uh, what gets him, keeps him excited uh, about that franchise and about, uh, continuing to build new games and also the relationship between you know impact and uh education and and a commercial game and and how you can in fact you know achieve um you know you can achieve these things at the same time as you said it's there's there's a whole commercial ecosystem that has to go into certain you know the, the commercial games but games can be made with such integrity that really move people and and enlighten their lives you know, it, it's interesting. And civilization, I think, like, like you said, it is sort of the epitome of like uh, being someone who grew up playing that game. I'm 45. So I was like, I'm right in that sweet spot in terms of civilization. Um, I, I like I learned world history through civilization. And uh, my son, I think Age of Empires, when he's been playing Age of Empires, has learned a lot. Um, and it's those sort of 
I, I don't know if it's fair to call it this, but like accidental gains for change that right? I, I find most fascinating. Um, you look at the awards. You guys do awards every year. And there's a mix of games that are obviously block, – Blockhood is a good yeah. example of a game that was designed to be a games for change. It's fun, but like that's what their approach was. But then you have Life is Strange. You have that Dragon Cancer. Um, last year you had Gone Home. Uh, so it, it's interesting that – like these two things seem to be coming together. Do do you think that uh, that's going to happen? That that eventually there's not going to be sort of a separate games for change and video games. It'll just be gaming. Well, I think the the, the push or push, I guess the, the the growing popularity of these expressive games. You know where where you are. You know the change, the the impact is about how a game can make you feel, um, and um, even self exploratory, uh, like Gone Home and like um, Life is Strange and and um, That Dragon Cancer. You know those are ex- extremely moving experiences, and because of that, and and the the the, the levels of depth and um, you know almost like the human humanistic um, approach to them uh, for us makes them a game that can. That it has changed. That ha- that does change people, right? It does. It makes you really feel. Um, I think there's room for both. You know, I think there are. There's there's going to be a space for games that are designed to have an impact that is measurable. That um, you know that you can research and um, and attract the kind of um, effect that it's having. But I don't think that negates the value and the importance of these softer games that still have um, a real uh, just impact on who we are as people. Um, and hopefully, they're all made with the integrity that like civilization is made uh, and other even commercial games I, I like to talk about Assassin's Creed 2 in this context of this accidental right. learning right they're just, they're just great games that are made with such integrity with such historical or emotional responsibility um, that um, that they can transcend you know they are transformative as, as sometimes the, the, you know uh, our friends at, at shell games Jesse shell and others like to like to call it um, and they truly are and I think that that is change uh, it, yeah it's interesting because I think that um, among the massive audience out there who either call themselves gamers or are you know people who play games there are some I think who worry that uh, games for change or or maybe just the concern or desire to be expressive or, or teach lessons in games could get rid of what many people view as traditional games like, let's say, Call of Duty. Uh, but, you know, Assassin's Creed, as you just mentioned, is a perfect example of why that's not true. That's, in my mind, that's a game made better because it's a game game for change, whether or not they meant it to be or an educational game. Yeah, no, I, um, yeah, it's, it's, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, in my view, you know, a diet, a healthy diet is a mix, right? Just as I'm, you know, I, I have kids, I'm not raising them solely on broccoli and kale, right? I, I want to them to enjoy a, a breadth of experiences of, in food experiences, if you want to, you want to like use that metaphor, but, but in entertainment and content, I think there's, there's a place for, Grand Theft Auto and, you know, and Call of Duty and something that's that's purely built on entertainment. And then there's a place for games like Assassin's Creed and, and Civilization where there's a little bit of stealth learning happening. And then there's room for games in the classroom, right? And something that is purely serves a purpose to educate or to change behavior. Um, so to me, 
I, I, I'm all about a healthy diet. I, I, you know, looking over over the track uh, of what you have, you've got you've got uh, people talking about sort of the some of the confluence of concerns that have been going on, uh, which I sort of touched on just now uh, in terms of Gamergate. I know it's not addressed directly, but you have someone from Feminist Frequency mm-hmm. talking about some of those concerns. Uh, you've got people coming in to talk about um, about it uh, looks like uh, the use of. Um, I can't. I've suddenly blanked. <laughs> well, we have the games. We have. I mean, we have uh, health uh, games having to do about personal um, ha- mental health issues, about body right. image, um, and and um, and then we have. I mean, talking about women, you know, and then women in gaming, and then you know, young girls and how to how to get them coding. So, uh, so yeah. So, I mean, we're trying to touch on a number of issues, as you said, without without being hitting anyone over the head with it, but. To say that there's a range of voices that that can be heard, um, and particularly in the games, uh, the civic and social issue track, um, we also have made an uh, an effort to tell some stories of um, some younger developers who aren't yet in the mainstream, um, like Jenny Shao Shia and um, and even like uh, Samantha Cook and and Squinky, you know, to talk about games that are personal games that touch sometimes touch on taboo subjects, um, but are are transformative and and sh- and deserve a place in at the same event than let's say a, a, a Sid Meier and a uh, Chris Weaver. Oh, and and I think also what's interesting is it seems like. Um, I obviously I, I like video games. I wouldn't do this job if I didn't. Uh, I find them endlessly fascinating. But one of the concerns I've always had as someone who uh, plays games and as a parent who has a child who plays games and also as someone who appreciates gaming as an art form is that I feel like the industry can uh, shy away from topics. Um, and I don't see that with you guys. You you have. Uh, to be very topical, you've got uh, obviously you have uh, talks about Israeli Palestine. Uh, you've got um, you mentioned the mental health. You, I, I'm sort of plugging my own, I guess, because I'm I'm on the panel. But you have someone, you have a panel talking about violence in video games, which you know people don't talk about that. The game industry doesn't like to talk about that. Um, so, are there like is that how does that happen, and how are, how easy is it for you to get? people to come and talk about those topics that maybe they wouldn't normally talk about? Well, I think people are, are really welcome the opportunity because they know it's typically not woven into, um, uh, I guess, a, a general convening, even if it is about video games. Um, and we want to handle these kind of topics respectfully and without being exploitative. I mean, for, we want to have an intelligent conversation. You know, for me, if, if we can have at, at the session that, that you're in, Brian, the, the exploration of violence in video games, we also have some researchers on that panel. Greg Toppo from USA Today is on that top. That on the panel, we want to, if anything, like debunk the the um, the assumptions and and the stereotypes. And if that means talking about difficult issues that that are reality, then yes, let's talk about that too. But it's not a. I think we want to move things away from being a black and white conversation and understand that there are nuances um, and and the only way you're going to have that is in a conversation. And uh, and we hope to to have that at the festival. Do you uh, – obviously, there was a, a terrible, terrible event that happened uh, just last weekend uh, in Orlando, the shooting. Um, it, the timing um, for E3, I think, was a little 
uh, I don't know the right word, but there it was. It, it was obvious. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and I think the industry struggled with with how to handle that. Um, obviously, video games uh, are entertainment and art, and and all the forms they take don't you know they would would obviously take a backseat to a national tragedy. Uh, but when you have those two things happening around the same time, I think it was interesting to me to watch all these press conferences where people, I think almost every press conference at E3, they started off uh, by, in some way, touching on what had mm-hmm. happened. Uh, we saw a lot of ribbons, people wearing ribbons. But uh, on the other hand, there was obviously, because it's just something that's in the game industry, there were a lot of games that felt with that dealt with di- violence and sort of, from an entertainment perspective, like movies do and books do. Um, do you, when you see something like that, are you ever thinking, oh, you know, Maybe this is something we can address here since E3 can address it? Well, um, yeah, the answer is yes. I do think it's something that we can address. I, and I did uh, and I did six months ago when we started doing the programming. I mean, the, the timing is, I mean, the timing of anything like this is just so tragic and horrible. The fact that, it, that these kind of events are recurring, you know, uh, seems like almost monthly in our, in our country is, is just beyond, you know, I don't even know what to say about it. Um, but uh, one of the sessions that we did uh, set up um, uh, six months ago was a session uh, that is a live game experience. Uh, we typically hold this uh, hold a session that's run by the students at the Entertainment Technology um, Center at Carnegie Mellon University, where they they play a live game with our festival attendees. And this year, we picked the subject of of gun control. Um, and obviously, it, it was a decision that pre- predated this event uh, by many months. But it, but it was inspired by this ongoing discussion, and and seems like you know. Uh, awful situation that our country can't seem to, to get through. Um, so we are going to be addressing it. Um, and it, it's, it's, again, it's about exploration of the topic. It's, it's not meant to take sides. It's not to be biased. Um, but it is to, you know, to, in a sense, to demonstrate that these, that these kind of issues can be explored within, within a gaming environment. And in many ways, um, I think it gives people an opportunity to, Explore something almost indirectly, where you, you know if you're playing a game, you're not necessarily taking a point of view um, that you're going to be held on to for the rest of your life. You, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about game playing is that you are able to explore, experiment, switch sides, try different, you know, role play, try different solutions in order to to get through the game. And and we are going to be playing a live game that explores that subject. You know, it, it's interesting. Um... You know, obviously, it's why I think widely accepted that science fiction has always been able to to more directly deal with some of these issues through uh, metaphor or, or you know different approaches. But Star Trek is a great example. Yeah. The original Star Trek it dealt with a lot of issues that were going on at the time and was able to do that in a way that no other television show could do. Um, and yet, for for some reason, it seems that video games struggle to do that. Not, I don't think because they don't want to, but because the reaction when they try to is so over the top and um i'm not i'm not entirely sure why that is do you do first do you think that's true and do you have any idea why that might be i don't know why i mean i i do agree that it is true there's a very it's like a knee-jerk reaction uh that the public has um it's almost i think i i mean video games are not the only not the only i think um 
uh, form of media that, that gets us to, um, I think, you know, violence on television and violence in film, um, also I think is a recipient of this kind of the sentiment, but yes, I think with video games, uh, there seems to be like a, a heightened sensibility, uh, sensitivity, excuse me, uh, about games potentially having an impact on our society or um, having a negative impact on society. Um, I, I think it's it's partly because it's the newest form of media that we have. Um, and some of the most popular games out there do, um, you know, uh, take on the, these these areas as terms of backdrop to, to the gameplay. So it's it's hard not to acknowledge it because it's there these these games are hugely popular and they're making you know more money than films are making right now so um so it's an obvious um you know uh it's it's an obvious point thing to point to um and people are looking for answers right people want those answers and it's and i think it is uh easier or it's easy to point to something a commodity than it is to look in internally and look to see what it is what does it really say about our society um that's that's a personal point of view do you do you so uh kind of shifting over um to uh, sort of i guess to the, the final track which is neurogaming and, mm-hmm. and the health track um also filled with really interesting things my my favorite I've, i i know that it's been talked about before i think it's even been you've had uh you've had uh dr Gazali? Is that Gazali. 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 Yes. I knew I was going to get that wrong. You've had him there before, but he is there to talk about uh, trying to have a game approved by the FDA for treatment of, is it ADHD? I, I'm going yes, off my in memory. this instance, it's ADHD um, in, in young people. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. And he's going to be talking about his journey in particular, about what, what, what it takes to get a game to this far um, and what kind of research and, and uh, rigorous, you know, uh, I guess the the research that has to go behind um, being even considered uh, for a F, uh, for FDA approval. Yeah, the work that they're doing at their lab, Achille Interactive, is is quite remarkable, and we've been tracking his work for some time. Uh, working, he works both with ADHD and he works in games that having to do with Alzheimer's. Um, but this idea that that games can have an imp, uh, an effect on the way our our brains are function and it's a la- and a lasting impact, right? That it can actually change the way our brains are are functioning in a cognitive way um, is is leading not only uh, him to work in that space, but a, but a whole field of researchers um, and game developers. And, and it seems like that is sort of one of the major themes of this talk. Uh, obviously, it being neurogaming and health, uh, you have a lot of really fascinating talks lined up. Is there a particular one that stands out to you? I'm excited about um, Snow World. Uh, for some reason, that that game really um, I don't know it touches me. So, uh, first-hand technology developed a VR game called Snow World, and and what Snow World does um, it it allows uh, burn victims uh, with severe you know pain of, due to that kind of trauma to experience a game within a VR in a very cold setting playing game within this 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 cold snow environment and um 
and play that game while they're going through physical therapy. And what the game is able to do is you know, really kind of trick your mind in layman's terms to, to feel as if you are in a much more comfortable setting. And it eases the discomfort that these burn victims are experiencing while they're going through uh, uh, rehabil- rehabilitation. And yeah, and just like in case like that slips by somebody. So we're talking about a game that you would play it, let's say eventually in a normal setting in your house or maybe in a hospital if you're undergoing treatment, but you're not, you're not, your body is not being cooled or it's going through its normal treatment. It's the, the fact that you are in a VR setting that is placed in a cool environment that tricks your brain into thinking that everything is cold. Yes. Like it, yeah. That's amazing. It is so uh, great. I, I, I love it. And I think there's actually a lot of VR being brought into hospitals, um, both for just, um, you know, uh, kind of a distraction um, and, and re- stress relief um, experience. But the fact that this game can trick your body to feel something or not feel something in that, in this case um, is, is quite, quite remarkable. And, you know, I've uh, – over the years, I've talked to, uh, about a couple of these things or written about them with uh, – I have a column, Good Game. Well, one of the ones I, I wrote about a few years ago was a game that uh, dealt with augmented reality and phantom pain for people who have lost limbs. Uh, there's um, – I know that there's some work going into um, uh, dealing with fear or dealing with anxiety, uh, helping with meditation. It seems like you have a lot of these um, – talks sort of going on. Um, One of the things I find really interesting is uh, this idea of, I hate to say reprogramming the brain because that sounds really nefarious, (laughs) but but like building the brain or getting the brain to to do things specifically that you want it to do in different and better ways. Um, And I, I think Go ahead. I'm no, sorry. no, 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 I agree. And, and the idea that you can, um, you can deal with, I mean, anxiety, you can deal with, um, depression, you can deal with, um, you know, that it's, and it's not just, it's not just the VR, it's dealing with, you know, biofeedback and slowing your heart rate. Last year, um, we, we featured and, and they'll be back for a demo. Um, uh, I want to say never mind. I'm just, yes, yes, never mind. mind. Right. Which deals with, um, which, which helps you deal with, um, you know, anxiety and fear and and reducing your heart stress. And I love the fact that, that, that game is, that is achieved through playing a horror game. Like that's just brilliant. Just brilliant. Um, there's another approach too, which I really like, um, which is a a bit of a, a, a different conversation that we're having at, uh, uh, on this track, which is this kind of crowdsourcing data and how a game can do that and provide um, inf- useful uh, information to be used by um, researchers and by scientists. I don't know if you've um, come across the game Sea Hero Quest. Um, no, I haven't. What is that? Yeah, so Sea Hero Quest was uh, initially uh, supported and funded by Deutsche Telekom, but it's it's a game that deals with ADHD, excuse me, with with um, dementia and Alzheimer's, but not from a treatment standpoint, but from a data collection standpoint. As you play the game, the 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 the, the activities and the way you respond to certain aspects of the game is dumped into a data pool that is that is being used by scientists um, to who are, are working on uh, treatment for 
for um, dementia and Alzheimer's. And I, and I think that's an interesting um, relationship too uh, that games and game and gamers and those who play them can have with, um, you know, with, with, the, with the development and the uh, work that, that needs to go into such, you know, such research-based um, progress that needs to happen in order to, to further some of these, uh, these treatments. Oh, and and sort of uh, and and sort of leaning more into the mainstream, you have Valve there talking a little bit about uh, using science uh, to, I guess, to to help with game design. Can you what what can you tell me about that? Yeah, so um, so there's definitely there's a, a kind of a, a an approach that that uh, you can take about how people are reacting to, to the games themselves that helps with research and that eventually makes the game designers, uh, you know, make better choices um, in terms of how they design the overall experience um, for, um, for, for the game developers. And so it's really looking at psychology um, and, um, and what, what, how you really understand how the users are reacting and what they are are gravitating to and how they're making their choices that eventually informs the game game developer. Um, we also have this really uh, cool speaker that comes outside of the gaming world, traditional way, Annie Duke, who's a, a world-class poker player who just happens to have been uh, schooled as a cognitive scientist. And she's going to be talking about how she used a lot of her... Um, you know her learning about what how people think and how they make their choices and how they project um you know from a from a body language standpoint into her um what ultimately was like a huge success playing poker um which as you you know you know is 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 an incredible strategy game um and that she now connects that work into um more from a, a cognitive, truly cognitive approach is how we make good decisions, um, and involving game theory. And and uh, I I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, that you guys also have um, zombie run folks six to start. Are, are do you know are they going to be able to talk at all about their the watch game that they I know they it's sort of. They talked about it a while ago, but it, it still isn't out. Yeah, no, it's not out. But yes, I do believe that the the content for their talk is really about what's next for them. And I don't know how they can talk about that without, without mentioning the watch game. So, yes, uh, I, I can't say for sure what the content is going to be. But um, but we were thrilled that they were that they are able to join us. I mean, they've just been in this space for a long time and has continued to be pioneers Um in in connecting health related issues with games. Yeah, it seems like they've almost created this their own genre. Yeah. I, I've noticed a lot of games that sort of tap into these ideas of uh I mean I wouldn't I think it's uh shortchanging it to call it the gamification of exercise because there's so much more to it. Um but yeah it's uh it's really interesting. Uh, Zombies Run, of course, is essentially an interactive I guess story that deals with your running and then takes that data and kind of gives you goals. And I think the walk is the version they made just for me. <laughs> I don't, I don't have to run. I have run, walk, the game. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then, uh, the last I heard, I've forgotten the name of it, but the watch game was, uh, it sounds like this very intense, 
um, workout experience where you're essentially running between virtual turrets that you've set up in a short in a small area, reloading them as these zombies are supposed to be attacking. But you're you know it's using real space and having you run back and forth. Um, but all you know really fascinating and and all approaches to making exercise something that maybe you do without having to think as much about yeah, it. Yeah, no, and the narrative, the, the narrative piece that you can, that they've been able to weave into uh, motivating people to, uh, to have fun while they exercise. Right. And then, um, uh, and then to create the kind of rewards and the, um, as you said, the, the data collection that actually informs how the game is being designed for you um, is terrific. And I know how much you like your, your watch games. Oh, I do. I love watch games. <laughs> what, so you you've got you've got two days of amazing speakers. I guess the first question, uh, maybe it'll be a heartbreaking answer to people listening. But can anybody go to this? And if so, is it too late, or or how does that work? No, it's not too late to come. Um, anyone can come. You can uh, buy a ticket. Go to our gamesforchange dot uh, org website, and you'll find your way through the festival. Um, uh, so it's yeah, it is open to public in that way. But we do require everyone to purchase a ticket in advance. And unfortunately, we're not selling tickets at the door. So please. Please, over the next three days, um, if you want to join us, uh, make the effort to go online and and, and get a ticket. Um, uh, we have great indie rates for those of you who uh, might struggle to uh, to kind of come up with uh, the funds. But we've really we've tried to make an effort to make this event accessible for everyone. And then and then you you've got these two days of events. You have all these people coming to talk, and people obviously coming. To these panels to listen what is it you hope will happen i mean you when this ends what what's the thing that you would like to see happen after these panels are all done and the festival's done well you know one of the things i've i've heard and i've experienced for the three festivals that i've been to is is the networking that goes on the people you meet the the ideas that are generated uh, at the festival and the collaborations that happen i think i think that that is what I hope to get out of the festivals that I hear afterwards that somebody ran into someone or they had, they met them at our speed networking session or at the marketplace and they were inspired to create a game and actually met a, a, a potential collaborator to make something happen. I think that's what, those are the stories that I want to hear about after the festival. Do you, is it, is it um, coincidental that this is happening the week after sort of, the antithesis of this happened. Uh, maybe that's being a little mean, but like you know, obviously E three is very retail focused. It's very entertainment focused. Um, it, it, are, do you sort of try to set up that? Um, well, that yeah, I don't know if we do. I mean, in that way, I mean, we were conscious of the fact that it was a week after E three. I mean, we work with with ESA um, a lot, and particularly on this event too. So, if anything, it's a it's an extension to I think the the month long conversation around games. Right? You're looking at it from a commercial perspective. Now you're looking at it from an educational and impact perspective. Um, one of the reasons actually we brought it to June is because we were really looking to engage with educators and academia and those who um, in the past have struggled to come to our event because of the time of year um, and uh, because we have such a focus on on learning that it made sense to have it um, at this time of year. So, um, so no, I, I feel like we are, you know, we have a relationship with E3 uh, um, and I think those who either don't feel like the E3 is the event for them because of the focus, I will absolutely, you know, you will find a different experience here at our event. Um, 
but there's a, a tremendous crossover too on who attends theirs and comes to ours. Do you kind of looking looking out across the future? Do you see a day where there's no need for this, or where sort of all of this is mashed together because uh, you know games for change are games? I agree. Yes, I think there is a day, there is a time when games are as games for change type games are seen side by side with games that are being made purely for entertainment. Um, I think just the way the Oscars um, don't have the Oscar award for the best game that teaches you something or, you know, or the best, excuse me, best film that teaches something you can have, you know, uh, best film of the year is, is a, you know, could, uh, a film like Argo, um, where it's politically, you know, uh, subject area is sitting next to something that's, you know, uh, made by Michael Bay or something like that. Though I don't know if any of his films actually, the <laughs> <laughs> uh, Academy Award. I know, I know, you know what, what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Um, but yes, where, where, the, where these games are, uh, beautifully made, uh, they're reaching millions of people. Um, maybe there's, a, a sustainable economic model to them, um, or maybe not, or maybe they're a game that's funded by a foundation or a, an agency that wants to make a game for free just to distribute and to reach as many people as possible. Um, but I do think that they, um, all, all deserve to live within the same umbrella. All right. Well, good luck later this week. I'll obviously see you there, but uh, hopefully things will go well. I'm sure they will. It's very fascinating. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, we'll talk again, I'm sure. Thank you very much. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Polygon Newsworthy. You can subscribe to the show and get every episode delivered automatically as soon as it's released. Visit polygon.com slash newsworthy for links to subscribe in iTunes, your podcast player of choice, or to download each episode as an MP3. If you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, we'd also appreciate it if you rated the show. Really, it would mean a lot.